0: Exodus chapter number three, Exodus chapter number three, I'll tell you in the middle of this message this morning, I'll tell you a little bit of where this came from, but I believe this is going to help us. I'm going to preach today to you in the room and to whoever decides that they're going to watch this, whether it's a live stream or they watch online, but I have a twofold part of what I'm preaching to. I'm not, I am preaching to the people that are in front of me today People that are looking at me and, and present, but I'm also preaching to you in the future. I believe there'll be a response today. I've, I've asked the Lord, and I believe the, the Lord will confirm His word, but I'm also preaching to a future you, um, a later you, some you that may not be in the season you're in now, but that you that one day will be in the middle of something different. Exodus chapter number three. Verse seven through 10 is what we'll read to open up with. The Lord said, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land of a good land, and large, land that flows with milk and honey, and unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites. And the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And then verse number 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Just for a a moment this morning, we're going to pray here. I'm going to preach before you meet Pharaoh. Before you meet Pharaoh. Let's ask the Lord to help us. That his word would find a place in all of our hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you. For how good and kind you've been to us, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your word would be as a seed that lands in good soil. Let the hearts of every person here be good soil, ready to receive and multiply the word that gets sown in. I pray and ask, God, I pray and ask to cover the people that are in this room or watching right now. But I also pray for that future individual, that future place, that individual, Lord that God will stand one day in, in the midst of trial, God, that you would cover them and keep them and help them even today until then. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You can be seated. Tell somebody they look nice this morning. When you first open up the New Testament and you go to the very first book in the New Testament, it's the book of Matthew, and as the story goes, as you begin to read in Matthew, you begin to learn about Jesus coming and the birth of Jesus, and it's a Christmas story at first, at least that's how we tell it a lot and normally preach it during that time of the year, but you read about Jesus' birth and you read about Jesus coming on and and the city he was growing up in, his parents. You learn about the things that, that, that he is uh, part of at his early life, in the early stage of his life. And then as you continue to read, you read about Jesus and the temptation that he endures as he goes into the wilderness. And when he comes out of that temptation, you discover and find that Jesus opens with teaching because initially that's a lot of what he is. He introduces himself. And the manner of teaching, he's trying to instruct and give the word of God, heavenly principles and things. And he's trying to instruct and impart. And he opens up in Matthew chapter number 5 and he begins to give what we have termed or what has been known as the Sermon on the Mount. And many of you know pieces of the Sermon on the Mount, things such as, blessed are the poor in spirit, for for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. One time I was at a a service and they, they had these prayer cloths and they wrote scriptures on these prayer cloths and they wrote these phrases and scriptures out and the man that was up in the pulpit said, we have prayed over these prayer cloths and we believe wholeheartedly that when we pass these prayer cloths out, they have scripture phrases written on them and this scripture phrase is... It's a prophetic word for your life. It's a word for right now. It's a word that you need. So we're going to pass all of these out. We're going to give one to every person in the room, and, and, and everybody's going to get it. And it is undoubtedly a word for you. Well, I got mine. And it said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I thought, dear Lord, what is coming? He said things like, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The merciful, they shall obtain merciful mercy. The pure in heart, they shall see God. The peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. He goes on and talks about salt of of the earth and light of the world. And he expounds, as you get towards the end of Matthew chapter number 5, he expounds... On the heart of commandments. It's not just that you don't lust. Or, or it's not just adultery. It's not just murder. But there's so much more to it than that. It's, that is an action. But there is a root and a heart. At the middle of that action. And Jesus tries to deal with that particular thing. Not just what happens. But the heart and the motive. And the thing underneath the surface. He deals with that in Matthew chapter number 5. And then... He gets towards the end, at the end of Matthew chapter 5. And here's what verse 44 says. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, the next phrase that he says is very interesting because I don't think we live with this type. It's like he threw this in, but it's so profound. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Now that's just, it's like he just dropped that in there. And people have asked for centuries now, they have asked the question thousands of years even, why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do these type of events, why would they get cancer? Or why would that happen to them? They're a good person. They're a faithful person. But Jesus answered that thousands of years ago when he said he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Ecclesiastes said it even before that. In Ecclesiastes 9 and 11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise nor riches to the men of understanding, yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happens to them all. See, I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase in my life, and I know you have too, that life's not fair. Anybody heard that? Life is not fair. What's happening to me is not fair Well let me tell you something, I would submit to you that life is fair, that it does happen to good and to bad, that events and trials and tribulations, while we may not think it is fair, if you were to step out of your perspective and get heavenly perspective, then you would understand that it happens to everyone. That time and chance happen to us all. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. Listen, life is not out of control. It's not out of control. Events are not random. We are all subject to blessings and we are all subjects to trials. All of us. Life is a lot more about perspective than it is about being fair. Because in fact, it really is. But here's what I would say. Life is not much about what happens to me as much as it is how I react to what happens to me. While I cannot control what happens to me, I can choose how I respond to what happens to me. While I can't choose the things that come against me or arise in my life, I can make the choice that that power of reaction is actually in my hand. And in life, we all will make choices and face hard decisions and deal with unexpected and crucial moments. But I submit to you today that we get to decide how we react to that. And we get to decide how we respond to that. I know in this room, there are people that the most difficult days of your life have not happened yet. You have not made the hardest choice that you've had to make yet to this point. But hear me, as I begin today to preach the word that I feel laid on my heart to share with you, most of life's decisions are made before you get to that decision. Most of life's decisions are made before the day of decision ever happens. You are cultivating and creating your, your decisions today. Your reactions and choices, they are forming daily and habitual and continual things. We are all doing things now that will determine how we react later. Now, this isn't going as well as I thought it would. I don't say that as I I, I need affirmation. I uh, I just had the privilege of speaking at a junior high camp on the last day, where they held them up until 3 a.m. the night before, so they were half asleep, all of them. Not like they were do- like they were all half asleep, passed out. But you know what? The word is still the word. And maybe they were sore, and I was just sowing it into their dreams. One day it'll come out. It's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to it when it happens to you. And hear me, you are making that choice, consciously or unconsciously, of how you will respond in that day. You are making that choice on this day how you act and receive and respond and live, your habits, your ways, your mind, you are making that choice this day, right now. In the Bible, we have the story of Moses. It's, it's a familiar story if you've been around church, but many people don't know some of the intricate details of it. Moses was raised in the right context to be a bridge between what Pharaoh was doing And what God wanted to do in the children of Israel. It's amazing that God positioned the right baby to be born and put into the weeds. An ark formed for him and pushed out into the water. At the right time, God decided this is the time for Moses to come onto the scene. And so the perfect person that would bridge between everything that Egypt had. And everything that the children of God were going to walk into. That perfect person was born. And put in a basket and pushed out into the water. You hear me this morning. It's not in my notes. But you were born for such a time as this. Don't think for a moment it's a mistake that you're here. Or a mistake you're in the role that you're in. Or the place that you're in. When God looked down the hollows of time. He knew who needed to be alive right now. That would bridge between maybe what the world wanted to do. And the kingdom wanted to do. And he ushered in the right people at the right time. And you are in the church For such a time as this. Born and raised at the right time with the right need. Moses comes on the scene. And if you read the story, Moses looks up in a moment of frustration. And he sees an Egyptian attacking or pushing, I guess, to the limits. One of his brethren. He sees it. Because he knows he may live in Egypt and he may live in Pharaoh's house. But he is not an Egyptian. He knows that. So he looks and he sees this thing transpire in front of him. And when he watches it happen, something stirs up inside of him. And he comes and he attacks. And the Bible says that he kills the Egyptian. But you know what's so interesting about that story? Is that later the next day, the children of Israel, he's standing there. And someone comes up and, and in some confrontation at a moment, he, they look at him and says, Who made you our deliverer? And he thinks for a moment, and the guy says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Who makes you, who made you the deliverer? Because Moses wasn't the deliverer yet. And Moses, if you want my feeling on the matter, Moses tried to step into a call that God had not ordained the time for. And in his own ability, in his own way, he tried to step into a purpose that God had not positioned him to do yet. And when he does that, he runs away and he flees for 40 years. Listen, that which is born of spirit is spirit. And that which is born of flesh is flesh. You do not have to force something to happen in the kingdom of God. Because if you do, you'll have to maintain it by the same way you forced it. So listen to me, that which is born of flesh has to be maintained by flesh. But if you will let the spirit lead... And you will let the spirit unfold things in your life. Then he will open up at the right time. The right call and the right purpose. And put you into the right destiny. If you will let the spirit do the work. Hallelujah. Moses is cast to what the Bible says is the backside of the desert. Now have you ever been to the backside of somewhere? The backside of nowhere. Nowhere. Anybody ever been to the backside of nowhere, GPS, whatever, doesn't work on your phone? He's in the backside of nowhere, herding sheep. The bridge, right? The man called for the hour. He's sent away for 40 years. He's on the backside of the desert. And as he's there, he encounters a burning bush. It's not uncommon that some of those bushes would catch on fire with the heat and the brittle nature But there was something peculiar about this bush on that day. And it was the fact that it was not burned up. It was on fire, but it wasn't burned up. So the Bible says that Moses said to himself, which is a really good thing. People call you crazy if you talk to yourself. I talk to myself all the time. I'm doing it right now in my head. There was one that I stopped right there. I did it. He says to himself, I will now turn aside and see. And if you read your Bible close enough, the very next verse will tell you that God said when he saw Moses turn aside, then he decided to speak out of the burning bush. But it was not until Moses decided that he would turn aside and give his attention to the very thing that God is trying to get. Listen, so many times we rush on to the next thing or we move on to something later or we think something else is going to happen. Oh, I'm going to go on. God is looking for people who will say, no, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right in this moment. I'm not rushing to the next moment. I'm not looking for something greater. I found the greatest thing that I have. That's why a moment ago in this service, we didn't rush on. Because if Jesus decides to step into the room, all of us need to just stop and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to see what the hand of God might do. So he gives his attention, turns, and the Lord says to him, verse 10, verse ten. Come now, therefore, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Now you got to think for a moment you got to think, that's where he came from. He just spent 40 years running from that. And the Lord looks at him and says, I know you don't want that. But I'm sending you back there. Now, I'm going to send you because I've heard the cry. Now, here's the the point this morning. I have heard the cry of the people. I've heard their, their prayers and what they've lifted up to me. I have heard that, but the only way this people is going to get delivered out of Pharaoh's hands is if you go through Pharaoh to do it. So I'm going to take that thing that maybe you might have been running from, and I'm going to take you back to it and back into Pharaoh's court and put you back before Pharaoh again, because I have a purpose to fulfill. But you hear me, that purpose runs through Pharaoh. That purpose runs through Pharaoh. I believe the heart of this message, what I preach to you, all of us, every person in this room, if you want the will of God done in your life, if you want the purpose of God to be accomplished in you and through you, if you want to be in God's plan, everyone here that desires that, you're going to face a Pharaoh. Pharaoh. You will stand before Pharaoh. One day, Pharaoh's could be hurt, could be betrayal, it could be a root of bitterness, it could be heartache. A Pharaoh could be false doctrine, a Pharaoh could be deception, could be a persuasive enemy. Pharaoh could be temptation or a trial or a test, could be a gradual fading away. It could be that Pharaoh is a sickness, could be Pharaoh is a struggle. But a Pharaoh is this. It's a confrontation of your faith and your resolve and your pursuits. And everybody is going to meet a Pharaoh if you want to fulfill God's purpose. You will all, all of us, everyone including the person here preaching this morning, will have to go through a Pharaoh to get to God's deliverance and purpose. We all must face a Pharaoh. Abraham met his pharaoh climbing a mountain to sacrifice his son. Joshua met a pharaoh at Ai. Samson met a pharaoh, what her name was Delilah. David met many pharaohs. One time it was a king named Saul in a cave. Another time it was a lady named Bathsheba on a roof. Pharaohs could be events, failures, unmet expectations, something that is completely out of your control. But a pharaoh could be something that's in your control. An attitude, a relationship, a choice, a future, a destiny. Here's the thing you need to know about Pharaoh before you get there. Pharaoh's not without power. Because Moses walks into the room where Pharaoh is when he finally meets him. Moses walks into the room and the same miracles that, that Moses could do, Pharaoh could do the same ones. The same things That Moses thought would separate or make him different. Pharaoh has some power also. Pharaoh has some convincing too. Pharaoh can make you believe he's more powerful. Pharaoh will test your commitment and calling, your identity, your purpose. See, Pharaoh, as the Bible says, Pharaoh has a hardened heart. Do you know who hardened his heart? The Lord. Because Pharaoh's not in control. Now that should have gone over a lot better than what it did. Pharaoh thinks he's in control. But Pharaoh's not in control. And if you're going to get through your purpose, if you're going to get to the place and the calling and the timing, you're going to have to go through a Pharaoh. But you need to realize Pharaoh is not in control. And Pharaoh doesn't have the final say. And he may be an obstacle. And he may be a difficult time. But Pharaoh doesn't have all the power. Pharaohs always have a purpose attached to them. I read this a couple years ago, and I think I've shared it in this church before. Turn in your Bibles with me to Job, chapter number 37. I, told, I opened this morning by telling you that life and things that happen to you are all about Perspective. And all about gaining the right perspective. And I hope to share perspective with you in a moment. Job 37, verse number 5, it says this. God thunders marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which he cannot comprehend. For he saith to the snow, be thou on the earth. Likewise to the small rain and to the great rain of his strength. He sealeth up the hand of every man, that all men know his work. Then the beasts go into dens and remain in their places. Out of the south cometh the whirlwind and a cold out of the north. By the breath of God frost is given and breath of the waters is straightened. Also by watering he wearieth the thick cloud and he scattereth his bright cloud. When you walk outside today, if so be it, or you walk outside tomorrow and you see clouds up in the sky, you know who balances those clouds is also turned by his counsels the clouds are that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the whole world and the earth he causeth listen this is about the clouds that send the rain that he's in charge of and verse 13 says this he causeth it to come whether for correction for the land for his land or for mercy Hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. When it rains, all rain is under His power and His jurisdiction. And what He says would come. And it always, that rain always has a purpose. Always. Because the Bible says in 13, when He sends that rain, it's either for correction for his land, or for mercy. That's really, really good. Because when God causes it to rain, he might just be correcting something. Or it might just be because the land needs it at that time. Or it might just be the very mercy of God at, at work at something. So you hear me, the next time it rains in your life, And the next time it pours, you ought to ask yourself, God, are you trying to correct something? God, is there something around me that needs this water? Is there something around me that needs the testimony I'm going to bring out of this? Or is this just your mercy at work in my life? Listen, every Pharaoh has a purpose. You will stand before an enemy you will stand before a dark trial all of us will meet a pharaoh the child of god with a purpose from god has an appointment with pharaoh to meet so we all have got to make sure that before we get to that day we're ready on this day because that day's coming so where do we do before We meet Pharaoh. Before that sickness comes, before the trial comes, before the difficulty comes, what do we do before we meet Pharaoh on that faithful day? Exodus 3, Exodus 3 and 4 actually give us some principles, some things to do before we meet Pharaoh. Turn with me there. Exodus 3, we opened up with it, but I'm going to read the verses before it. Now Moses kept the flock, verse 1, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, the Mount of Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked and he saw the burning, the bush burned, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses... Moses and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not hither, but off thy shoes, off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Let me tell you the first thing that you need. Before you meet Pharaoh, and it's real simple, you need an encounter with God. You need something absolutely undeniable that takes place in your life before you stand in front of Pharaoh. You need an encounter with God. You need something that nobody can take away from you. You need something that is tailor-made and custom-fitted for your life. Maybe it was that you walked into a service and you lifted your hands and you encountered a loving God for the very first time. Maybe it is that you come to church or in a Bible study at some point and the word of God comes alive to you and nobody else showed you that but God himself. And you had an encounter with him. So let me tell you, before that day comes, you need an encounter with the one true living God. You need an encounter with God that is undeniable. Because if I know, and I've not lived long as some, but if I know one thing, the enemy would love to talk you out of what you've received from God. The enemy would love to get you out there, and this is pastor's illustration, so I'll just steal it. He'd love to get you out there and somebody cuts you off. And you lose everything that you just got in a single moment. And then guilt sets in. And then shame sets in. And then you're like, well, I'm pointless. i got to go back to church next week to get something. Listen, you need an encounter with him. You need something undeniable that happens between you and God. The genesis of this message was we were on our trip. And on the campgrounds there in Madagascar and their city, right outside of Antananarivo and their city, they have, a, they have a, their own campgrounds, and on the back side of it, there is, there is a, 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 it's a two-story building. It's not big, but it's enough to house a meeting, and on the top floor of that, they call it the upper room, and it's significant. They do meetings and meals and many training sessions and things up in the upper room. We were sitting there, and we had dinner one night, and I should have sent the picture to kind of give you context to what it looks like, but we're up there on the second floor, and and, and we're, sitting, we're sitting there and the missionary, the Richardsons, they get up and they begin to talk about choices and decisions. And they begin to talk about things that you'll decide in your life. And this is a group of young adults. This is a group of teenagers and young adults that are with us. And as they're talking to them and expounding on decisions and how we react to things that happen to us in life, the spirit of the Lord began to move into that room. And in that upper room, as we sat there, God's spirit began to just sweep into that place. You could feel it. You could feel his spirit just working and reaching for people. And I was, I stood up as part of the leadership of the group. And I stood up and I said this phrase. I didn't even know where it came from. I might have read it in a book, but I didn't even know where it came from. And I said the phrase to the group of people that were there. I said, you need to make that decision right now before you go home to Pharaoh and you stand in front of him. And I didn't know where it came from. And I didn't know where it was lodged in my brain or heart or spirit and how it came out in that moment, but it did. And intercessory prayer began to sweep over that place. People crying out to God, not because of what I said, but because of the spirit of God that was in the room. And his spirit began to move and work on people. And it was so tangible what was taking place into that room because you could see it. If you were even looking with a half spiritual eye, you could see what was taking place in that room. There were some that were responding to the call of God and having a moment with him. Then there were others that were not responding. They were not given over. They did not grasp the seriousness of the moment. So I... I I felt it, I saw it, you could, you could sense it in the room. I stopped the room. And I said, right now, what's happening? And I feel, you may think I'm strange or weird, but I am. I said, there are people right now that are in this room interceding for you. They're not praying those things for themselves right now. But God is sweeping through them to intercede on your behalf because you won't respond. And the mercy of God is so strong and and so good in this room. He's trying desperately to get everyone to respond to him. And to have a moment in his presence that the enemy can never take from you. And I watched as people laid out in the floor and, and they cried out to God and spent the next hour or so reaching. And they had an undeniable moment in God's presence. And I took a picture with my phone. I took a picture of my feet so I could always remember the place that I stood where God met us in that room. Now that's a story for me. I wonder what's your story. I wonder what it would be like when you stand before Pharaoh if you didn't have a moment in God's presence. And you didn't have an undeniable encounter with him. That nobody could take away From you. We've got to have an encounter with God before we meet Pharaoh on that day to come. We need to know we've met him. We need to know he's for us. We need to know that we've touched heaven and heaven's touched us. We need a moment with God. In that moment, God calls him, calls Moses. And he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so my people need to be delivered out. And Moses says in verse number 11, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? His first question back to God is really simple. Well, who am I to do something like that? The Lord answers back very clearly, And says, certainly I will be with thee. In fact, you're almost asking the wrong question, Moses. This is not about who you are. This is about who I am. So he asks back and says, what's your name? What should I tell them? And he says the phrase that we sing about, we worship about. He says, you tell them, I am hath sent thee. The I am that I am hath sent thee. Unto you, Let me tell you the next thing you ought to have before you meet Pharaoh. You have got to establish identity. Let me tell you right now. If you meet a Pharaoh and you don't have identity, he'll give you one. Now I'm going to stay right there because the Holy Ghost is here. The Lord woke me up this morning to remind me to tell you that. If you see a Pharaoh, you see, you experience and walk into hurt, you will take on that hurt if you have not established your identity in him. You will walk around a victim because Pharaoh told you you're a victim. But that's not what God told you about your life, about your call, about who he is. But you will take on an identity if you do not establish an identity before you meet Pharaoh. You hear me right now? The world wants so bad to confuse and disorient our identity. It is not a catchphrase or a cute thing on Hobby Lobby. You hear me right now? I am a child of God. I have been redeemed. I am blessed. I am highly favored. I am called out and separated out from among them. That's not a cute sign. That's the word of God, and I'm not taking on another identity. I establish myself in what he says about me and whose I belong to. But if you don't get your identity, Pharaoh will give you one. Pharaoh will give you and tell you who you are. Because, in fact, the Bible says, When Pharaoh, when Moses presents himself to Pharaoh, you can go read it, I think it's in Exodus 5. When he shows back up, Pharaoh looks back at him and he says, you just go get back to work because you're nothing more than a slave. Before he does anything, before any other miracles, when he presents himself to Pharaoh, Pharaoh looks back at him and says, you just go go back to making bricks, go back to building things for me, go back to the identity and thing I told you you were. Because if you don't get your identity established in him, Pharaoh will give you an identity when you get there. Come on, you are much more than someone who's been hurt. You are much more than somebody who didn't has unmet expectations in your life. If you are going to walk in purpose, you're going to go through a Pharaoh. But that Pharaoh is on purpose. And God has a purpose to bring you to. So the story goes that Exodus 4 takes place and Moses answers and says, what if they don't believe me? You know, Moses gives me a lot of hope because I got a lot of questions too. What if they don't believe me? What if I get there and they don't, what, what if this happens? And the Bible tells this. He says, I want you to take your rod, Moses, right now. Remember, this is just Moses and God. I want you to take your rod and I want you to cast it down. When he does, it becomes a serpent, it becomes a snake, and he reaches down. Now listen, I ain't reaching down. Like that was a cool trick. God, I like that, but I like it from a distance. I'm not reaching down to pick up that snake. And he reaches down, he picks up the snake, it comes back into a staff. Then he says, take your hand, take your hand and stick it inside your cloak. Pulls out his cloak. Pulls out his hand and it's a withered hand, puts so it back in his cloak, comes back out whole, right, like it was before. Then he tells him at the end of the passage, you can read it Exodus 4 1 through 9. He tells him at the end of the passage, he says, You're gonna go also and you're gonna pour the water out of the river the Nile and you're gonna pour it on the ground and it's gonna become blood. Now, all of those things, if you've read the story or if you've seen it, you know that happens. When he gets in front of Pharaoh, you know the serpent that gets picked up by the rod. You know about the withered hand or the the leprous hand, excuse me, that gets brought out. You know about that. You know about the river turning to Nile. But before he got in front of Pharaoh, God showed it to him in private. Before he ever stood in front of a public, a, a, a public confrontation, he had a private assurance that God was for him and God was working through him and God had something that he was going to do in that moment, but he showed it to him before that moment. You hear me? What you need before you walk in front of Pharaoh, before you stand in front of him is you need a private revelation that produces a public confidence You don't need to approach Pharaoh without having a word from God. You don't need to approach Pharaoh unless you've had something in private with God that gives you confidence when you're in front of him. Each of these miracles were performed first privately and then publicly. I want, Lord, I want you to speak to me when I pray daily. I want you to speak to me and affirm and help me. Lord, help me in private. Look. I am. We have got to overcome trying to be affirmed by everybody. Not everybody. We have got to be delivered from the spirit of affirmation and feeling like because they haven't liked this or they haven't shared this or they didn't like my post or they haven't talked to me in this long. You don't need affirmation that comes from everybody. What you need is an affirmation that comes from your own relationship with God that confirms and affirms all that you are in him. So that when you stand in front of Pharaoh... You're not taken off guard by his deception because you've been given revelation. You're not taken off guard by what he's able to do because you know the one that is more than able to do anything and above everything. You're not taken off by his power because you know the one who has all power and you've walked in private with him so you can deal in public with everything else. A private revelation that produces a public revelation Confidence. Finally, last thing before you meet Pharaoh, Exodus 4 and 18. Moses went after he is told about Aaron and after he has all this encounter, the last thing that happens, at least in this part that I'll share, is Moses returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt. And see whether they yet be alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Because The last thing that at least I'll preach about today. You could probably preach a series on this. But the last thing I think you need before you get to Pharaoh is a spiritual covering in your life. You need a spiritual authority in your life. You need submission. You need to understand something. You need to understand something. You've got to understand this in the Bible. Moses just received a call from God that was so big. He was about to bring millions of people out of bondage. He was about to walk them across ten plagues and across the Red Sea. And yet, he was not above submitting it to the spiritual authority in his life. Because if he's going to walk into Pharaoh's court, he can't do that alone. He can't do that without covering. He can't do that without submission. Listen, I, I as, as a, a, a pastor at the church, as I work, I understand how the world views our job. How the world views this. I actually had somebody in school one time tell me, I said, well, you know what, we don't, we don't necessarily do that. My pastor prefers that we not do that particular activity. And I had the girl look at me, and it's, I mean, it's been around for however long, of this still happens. I had the girl look at me and said, well, I mean, if he told you to jump off a bridge, would you do that? And I just looked at her, and I said, well, I mean, you know, you have things that go in your brain, and you want to say it. And my, my thought was like, well, I mean, stupid questions deserve stupid answers, so I mean, sure, I probably would do that. I'd probably jump off because I trust him. Because he covers and oversees a lot of my life. And I know that sounds foolish to you. But if I'm ever going to accomplish anything that God would have for me, I've got to have some type of support system. And that support system has been lined out in God's word that I would have some type of spiritual authority to submit my life and my call and my purpose. It doesn't shock me that people are thrown off by that. You know why? Look at Genesis 46, 33 through 34. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? They'll say, the servant's trade hath been cattle from our youth till now. Both we and our fathers that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every Shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. It's not new that they think we're crazy. It's not new that they think shepherds are foolish. They've always thought shepherds are foolish. But God has set up a pattern. And God has set up a way that I can live my life and call covered. That I can have mutual accountability And have a governing oversight over my life. God has set that plan up. Because the Pharaoh's coming. And I don't want to walk in there unprepared. I don't want to walk into that season not knowing. But I want to be like Joshua. Who said this. Choose you this day who you will serve. Because that day is coming. And whatever happens on that day is a direct reflection of what takes place on this day. So before I meet Pharaoh, I'm choosing this day to serve the Lord. Stand with me. There's probably not a better contrast in Scripture. Now I know there's a lot of moving around and there's parts of this, but let me share something that's really But I feel like important for this moment. There's two people in the New Testament. Both followed Jesus. Both disciples of Jesus. They both witnessed Jesus' power and Jesus' teaching. They both saw the nature of Jesus for themselves. They walked with Him. They knew what He was like. They knew what He would laugh at. They knew what He would do. They knew how He reacted. They knew His routine. They knew Him. They both saw the same thing. They both walked on the same road. They saw the same sights. They heard the same conversations. They witnessed the same miracles. And yet, both men have an appointment with a Pharaoh. In fact, if you read the Bible, they both had an appointment with Pharaoh on the same day. Those two men are Peter and Judas. Two men. Appointment for themselves with Pharaoh. And that appointment falls within the same 24 hours. On the same night, they both would stumble and fall. They stood before their own trial. And they stood on their own decisions. One being that he denied Jesus three times. The other sold Jesus for pieces of silver. They both betrayed him. And they both did it within the same few hours of each other. Two men, different giftings, different names, but same experiences. And they both met a Pharaoh. The story ends, however, with Peter standing up, preaching the message of salvation. The day of Pentecost, we herald him. The story ends with Judas hanging himself. Out of the guilt and shame for the choice and decision he made. Now what is it that would make them different from one another? What is it? How did two men walk both with Jesus and walk into a Pharaoh's court? And how does only one of them walk out? There's not a lot of scripture that maybe tells us the answer. But there is one thing. Kind of paints the picture a little bit for us. Matthew chapter number 26, verse number 20 through 25. And when evening would come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful. And each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man not to have been born. Then Judas, who was betrayed, answered and said this, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. I don't know if you caught the difference. But the other disciples said, Lord, is it I? Judas didn't say that. Judas looked at Jesus and said, Rabbi, is it I? All the other disciples had decided, I have a Lord over my life. I have somebody who lords over all of me. And in my, in my conviction, I'm asking the question, Lord, is it I? But There's one. Who doesn't keep Jesus at the same place as the others. Because he doesn't say Lord. He says Rabbi. Teacher. Instructor. One that just comes and gives us a little bit. But listen, Jesus is much more than a Rabbi. Jesus is much more than what every other part of this world says. He's much more than what others have labeled him as. He's not just a Rabbi, Judas. He's not just... This teacher of the word of God that tickles your ears with nice doctrine. No, no, no. This is God manifest in the flesh. This is Lord Jesus. This is the Lord. And I don't know why. But when everybody else called him Lord, Judas called him Rabbi. And Judas walks into Pharaoh's court with a chance to react Right. he never had an encounter that lasted he never had an identity he never had that that moment of private revelation that came and changed his public demeanor he never submitted to authority Pharaoh destroyed him now I know it's sombering and I know it's difficult and I wish sometimes to not preach things along those lines but I do feel directed from the hand of God to ask the question what are you going to do before you meet Pharaoh? Before six months from now when the trial of your life shows up or a year from now or three years from now when it affects you or your kids or your job or your home or your health or whatever what are you going to do before you meet him? I'm preaching to your future but Admittedly, I'm preaching to you right now because Jesus is looking for somebody who will turn aside. Jesus is looking for somebody who will call him Lord and put him in the right place in their life so they'll be right before they meet him. These altars are open. Normally, we give this call, or why don't we all come down and pray, but here's what I'd like to say. If you want to pray, if you want to be ready before you meet Pharaoh, the altars are open. If you want to be right and ready, the chance is here. The response is on you. What are you going to do before you meet Him? What are you going to do before the heartache? What are you going to do before the trial or the test or the persuasion of doctrine presents itself? What are you going to do before the world presents itself just as powerful as the God who spoke to you? Come on, I wish you'd cry out to the Lord for a moment. I wish you'd put yourself... In his presence, you would reach for him. Before you stand on that day, let's get it right on this day. Come on, would you lift your voice and cry out to him?